Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. On tonight's show, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. It is great to be back. It's been about a month, I think, so I kind of missed it. I was getting used to doing it for a while. We also welcome back our friend Paul Dean of the Shut Up and Sit Down Show. Hi, thank you for having me again. Always good to have you. Tonight we take a look at Armello, a new fantasy strategy game from League of Geeks. It's a game I've had my eye on since I first heard about it last year when developer Trent Kusters told me it was an attempt to make a living board game. My first thought was that he was making Jumanji, but I've since discovered that this is tragically not the case. Uh, Paul, this board game PC game hybrid seems like it's in your wheelhouse. What is Armello and what separates it from other fantasy strategy games? Armello is... uh... On the surface of it, it's very board gamey. It's this uh, fantasy game about a a corrupt king who is slowly sort of dying or rotting away. And you have four players, and I think it's always four players, whether you're, uh, you know, all actual humans playing the game or AI. Uh, and it's basically a... What's the, the best way of describing it? There's multiple ways to succeed. You can either... Uh, find a way to heal the king or you can find a way to sort of succeed uh, the king and, and step into his place by deposing him but there are various ways of doing that it's like a board game I suppose it has hex tiles it has cards that you play but it all sort of runs on your computer partly because uh, League of Geeks told me ages and ages ago in an interview that it does actually function as a real world board game and they prototyped it thus but there's so much refereeing to do. There's so much uh, sort of hidden information and stuff that goes on that it works way better as a video game. So it's sort of a board game with the computer doing the legwork. Is that a good way of describing it? Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. It, we should also say it's a, it's a very pretty game. Uh, it, yes. it's, it's got this, this lovely, uh, almost I would say classic Disney uh, sort of motif going on. I although I could just be saying that because I was playing a bear character that looked an awful lot like the bear from uh, the Disney Robin Hood. Ah, yes, exactly. I was thinking that exact same thing when I was playing it. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a thing that Paul left out. These are this is an animal kingdom we're talking about. This is yes. characters from they look like they're from uh, children's storybooks. You know, the lion is the king of the jungle and there's a hare and a bear and a wolf and a rat. And they all have your standard fairy tale attributes that you would associate with those kinds of creatures, I guess. Um, and I guess what are the guards? Weasels? I think the guards are weasels. I don't know. They're armored. Yeah. I never thought about what they, they were. I thought they were like dogs, but they, they have some sort of snout. Yeah. So, and the fact this takes place in an animal kingdom type setting, I think, adds to the cuteness, which is not, I mean, aesthetics are important. And I think the mechanics of the game are quite simple. Um, I think they're interesting in certain ways, but they're relatively simple. Uh, And I think they're in some ways enhanced by the art, um, by, you know, taking these themes of corruption and rot and killing and assassinating the king and somebody's turning these fairy tales on their head, I guess. You yeah. know what, I kind of liked that, actually. The, the, the first thing that I saw, I mean, I'd, I'd been watching the Kickstarter for a while and I'd been seeing the pitch for the game. But when I actually fired up the early access code, that it's something like, what is it, version 0.35 now, I think? Um, it has good music and it looks nice. And actually, that 
that's not really what I was expecting. I was expecting something a little more static and, um, I guess, kind of board gamey. You know, something more inert. And actually, it's quite lively. I think it's also pretty challenging because it's a game that it's it, it's a fairly short game, and I think one of the you know the first thing you see when a game begins is the dying king. Uh, the the king is this lion sitting in this four hex uh, palace in the center of the map, and the king is dying of some sort of you know magical corruption basically, and he's eventually going to die. I think it's it, is it ten turns. Nine or ten, yeah. Yeah, so the game is on a timer from that standpoint, and there's ways he can be made to lose health more quickly. People can come and fight the king and try to depose him violently. So right from the, so every turn, the king, is, the, the king is dying and you're running out of time, and you have to gather up prestige, basically, to make yourself next in line for the throne, or take one of the other victory tracks. But one of the most basic things you want is prestige, because it's a very important and general purpose currency in, in some ways. But the map is fairly small, and, and so from the first, you on the one hand, the entire game is on the clock, and on the other hand, that map is very hazardous. There's a lot of things around you that are going to cause you problems. There's there's monsters nearby. Uh, but more importantly, there's also the other players. I think even calling it a map is a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's really more of a board. You don't control anything, really. You can occupy a village for a bit, for a turn maybe, and then you collect gold on that turn. But if somebody moves into it, there's not a fight over the village or anything. You're not fighting for control over it. Just they get the gold the next turn. It's kind of like moving on a candy land or a monopoly board you land on something and something happens um and you can keep going back over those tiles uh back and forth you're not trying to prestige isn't based on land you control and it's not based on gold you accumulate but it's based on events and battle victories and uh exploration discoveries and all these things that happen to you as you move your piece around the board hopefully accumulating enough prestige and health and strength and dice and all this other thing going on to either challenge the king or be the proper uh anointed one when the king finally kicks it what uh victory tracks did you tend to pursue i i think my, my first games i tended to just sort of try to feel my way through it. And honestly, that, that didn't work particularly well. Uh, it, it, do, it does sort of seem like fairly quickly you need to identify what overall strategy you're going for and, and pursue it. But I'm curious what, uh, what route you, you ended up favoring. I Actually, I think that's a very good point. The first couple of games I played, I kind of fell between stools or I tried to see what would happen or what was available. Um, and then I think once you've settled on a particular uh, tactic or track, that's a wiser thing to do. The first time I properly uh, went in a certain direction, I went after these four. If you can collect four crystals uh, or these sort of magic stones, you can bring those to the palace and use those to heal the king. And that's one of the uh, one of the ways of winning. And that became one of the approaches that I tried for a certain game, and I actually managed to get four, but I didn't manage to succeed. And I'll explain why, I think, maybe in a moment, because I think there'll be a good opportunity to explain why that didn't work. 
But um, I've tried that. I've tried uh, collecting the crystals by completing quests, which sort of crop up around the board, or by just jumping into dungeon after dungeon, which is sort of a roll of the dice as to what kind of uh, uh, treasure you can get. And um, just plain old hitting things is not actually that bad a route either, because when you win fights, you win prestige points, and prestige points allow you to either take over from the king, but also in the meantime, if you have the highest prestige among anyone, you get to make decisions for the king every turn. They're generally not very nice decisions, but you can at least control them to some degree. And I found uh, that was a moderately effective way of playing the game, or at least with some of the characters I tried, because some characters are more martial than others, I think. Yeah, each character has certain traits that they're good at. I mean, I, I, Regicide was the one that I went for. I went for taking out the king early. <laughs> You're a monster. Uh, I am. Uh, because I thought about going this whole spirit stone route, the soul stone, spirit stones, That's or it. whatever, that um, Paul did. But that uh, so much of that depends on being at the right Stonehenge at the right time, because these blue balls... Ah! Yes, these spirit, these blue glowing stones appear... Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God. I'm tired. They appear irregularly on the map, so you have to be nearby to get them, and hopefully you get collect them before one of your rivals does. It seems a very inefficient way to do it, but it works if you're a character who has like extra movement, for example, who can get there faster, or who moves better at night, or what have you. When these things do pop up, um, we should mention that you know each turn. You have, you have to describe the gameplay, I think, and probably make more sense to people the things we're talking about here. Each turn, you have a hand of, like, four cards, four or five cards, and you can play these cards. Some are items which you can equip yourself with, and they're generally for good for the battles, and there are other things are spells, which you can cast on tiles or on yourself to either for temporary buffs or to make magics appear then there's trickeries which are ways to hurt your opponents which is well this is where the really great card game aspect of the board game in it comes out and trying to use these to further your own victory condition is kind of the point i think it it does have a bit of that unfortunate vanilla civ 5 aspect that you've got to choose pretty early which way you're going otherwise you'll end up using your cards very, very inefficiently. And I don't think the AI is very, very good at any of this. It's, I think it's quite easily distracted, if that's one way of putting it. Um, I think this is really designed to be a multiplayer game, and we should probably try that sometime. But yeah, I went for the regicide, because in many ways it's the easiest to do. You just you just draw your item tiles. Um, you can, in the battles. When the battle pops up, if your cards have shield tokens on them, you can burn them off to gain extra defense in your battles. Um, so I fought the king and I killed the king. But the king killed me on the same turn. So I lost my prestige and dug up below zero. So the stupid bear ended up winning <laughs> with a prestige of one. Oh, really? Even though I murdered the king. And if you die in this game, you just get teleported back to, but you lose the prestige point. to your own spot, but you lose your prestige points. You so th yes. I ended up getting uh, defeated by the bear because I died in a murder-suicide. Oh my goodness, that's so, that's so Shakespearean. It was sad. You know, the levels of, of power play there and tragedy. Uh, I had... I was playing the bear for the Spirit Stone tactic game, and I actually had the four stones, and I was bursting into the palace. 
near the end of the game. And this is uh, what actually led the computer to win, was uh, the rabbit character, who'd actually had a terrible game and had largely been not very effective, burst in as well at the same time because the king was so weak, because the king becomes weaker every single turn. Um, they were actually a pretty easy kill towards the end of the game. And that actually disappointed me a little bit. The fact that this character who wasn't doing fantastic, they didn't have a great deal of items or money or prestige, could walk in and with, uh, I think, about two turns of pushing their way into the castle, just stab a guy who's not very well. Yeah, that that definitely is a little bit frustrating. I, I guess I sort of... I mean, you can defend it as... Um... The end game gets more volatile, right? Where like yes. there, there's there's a re- there there's incentive to go and try to head people off from getting to the palace if you can, as as the king is beginning to really teeter there. Um, but yeah, I did have problems with the with the spirit stone victory as well, and I think a big part of that is just this is not an easy board to get around. No, and movement is a really scarce commodity and those stones can spawn in really like different locations and getting across the map can be a huge journey. And so it, it it does sort of seem like a victory condition that, um, it seems tough to plan around. It seems tough to strategize around. I'm not sure it, it, it dovetails nicely with the rest of what you're doing in the game. Well, here's the thing that, I, I mean, I, you make a very good point there, and here's a thing related to movement. I I was picking up all kinds of cards and items that would boost my ability to fight other players or fight the the creatures that spawn around the board, um, or you know, be a, a more effective martial character. And I was also pulling out cards that would allow me to delay or slow or you know hinder other characters somehow. But I wasn't really pulling out very much that was actually making me faster. And I would love to have been a more mobile character. And I couldn't uh, find any character who had any route to sort of running around the board faster. No, you really need cards for that. I I never drew any cards that did that. I ended up with some of those lovely, you get these blue follower cards as well, which you don't draw from the regular deck, but you get them from completing certain challenges. But I couldn't actually find anything that made me any more mobile. Uh, uh yeah i got a, i got a card i had a card pop up a few, a few times that was about um it gave me an extra action point every turn and it uses movement Ooh. and action interchangeably in this game uh but yeah so being able to move four instead of three was a pretty decisive advantage uh i i found it, it it's it's short duration but it's it's useful for for really uh putting you know turning on you know, you know turning on the gas when you need to but yeah it's 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 a it's a challenging uh victory condition and i'm wondering if it's maybe a fallback option you know if you're out there questing on the map that that's maybe an alternate route that you know something that you can you can do opportunistically if you get lucky i'm i'm not sure what i tended to have the best luck with was um I felt the prestige was like the most important thing. And so I tend to do a lot of the monster fighting. And if I could, I would also try to 
sort of pick on the other heroes both give you prestige uh and taking out other heroes knocks down their prestige so it's it's you know kind of a a double victory but killing the monsters is also pretty huge and if you're the bear uh with your spirit power your spirit's really directly relevant to fighting the the what are they the blights banes the banes um so the bear is sort of like the the bear santa is really good at spirit uh, ability and yes. so i was really good at fighting the banes and so i was sort of going around the map and racking up a lot of prestige doing that uh the problem uh the problem in 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 my game is the bear was that um uh mercurio the rat um kind of lived up to his name and started assassinating all the other heroes right and left i um, have this as well Wait, playing as the bear. Was it Mercurio? Was was Mercurio the big killer in your game? Yeah, and interesting. The, the thing was, he collected a lot of items. He's a the kind of the money heavy character, isn't he? Yeah. Or he certainly has been like in a few games I played. He got a fat wallet. He bought uh, a lot of items that gave him bonus dice, and then I couldn't find a way to sort of deal with that or deal with him because he became so strong with all his gear that he was just running around whacking people really hard. Hmm. Uh, but having said that again, there was, uh, I've had that happen in a couple of games, including the one where the, uh, a drastically underpowered rabbit walked into the palace and killed the King. That was even happening in that game, which kind of felt bizarrely unfair. I would have thought he would be the ultimate person to step in and certainly, you know, slay any monarch or member of a Royal family. Yeah, I, I did notice the, the AI does tend to not make the best decisions about when to kill the king. Like, I had a game end when uh, Thane the wolf went in and killed the king. But Thane had just been killed, uh, I think, by the king earlier. So so Thane was down to nothing. He had no prestige. Uh, and, uh, and another hero, the, the rabbit, was, was way ahead on prestige. So Thane ended the game and gave the victory to someone else. Maybe the AI got bored. That is, you know what, uh, That obviously that's not a fantastically encouraging thing to see, but I do wonder if uh, it's because of the amount of variables that are being thrown around, the amount of different contexts and clauses. It's not easy to program AI for, for something that complex. Well, I mean, AI is something we've talked about before on the show. I mean, AI in a lot of games has a poor sense of what turn is it? And we'll often make decisions assuming that what is a good choice in turn three is a good choice in turn five. AI um, has terrible contextual awareness, I think. Yeah, but it would, but you would think it should be able to do a simple prestige check. I mean, that's not beyond the limits, I think, of math. Yeah. Very much makes sense. But, uh, I, I mean, obviously, we're talking about an early access game, and I can yeah, imagine yeah. this being something that is smoothed out over time. But, no, that's... Uh, one of the first things that I, I noticed was occasional decisions made. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess, what's based on what's maybe good right now for this turn, but not necessarily for what could possibly happen next turn or what the consequences of this action will be. To be fair, the game is clearly a multiplayer game in a lot of ways too, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not even, like, if you're playing against the AI you're still sitting around waiting for the AI to take its turn like you would other players. 
Like, this is clearly a thing that sort of tries to steer you into playing against other people. Uh, and that's something that I would have loved to have done with uh, you guys, except we were all, uh, you know, doing different things this last week. Um, but that's yeah that that's that seems like a challenge that's not quite been uh not quite been licked but it does seem like a lot of a lot of these characters are are, are pretty good at sort of picking a strategy that, that they want to run with uh the other interesting thing i want to talk about there's a few things i want to talk about with the cards mm-hmm. uh, but one of the things I, I want to talk about is the way you have special cards which are the king's decrees that pop at the start of every day Yes, and those are really cool, like global state changes for the game. Uh, and the interesting wrinkle is the king put, puts forth two decrees, and then the player with the highest prestige is named chancellor and gets to choose which of the two decrees is going into effect. Yeah, and the king, as the turns go on, the king descends further into madness. You're choosing which way you want the king to screw me today. Yes. They get. Can, as the game progresses, they get the game. The early decrees, you know, they're not great, but often there are some bonuses there. There's some way you can find a way to attack a particular character or turn the map in your advantage. As the king dies and gets more mad and rotten and corrupted, you're choosing between two really bad choices, uh, which I think is a really nice little narrative device that kind of kind of pushes you to maybe accelerate the game a little bit further before the map turns further against you. It's a sense of the time ticking down uh, in some interesting ways, I think. I like that. I mean, I think that's, uh, I think giving people bad decisions to make is always a good thing in a game. And it was a thing that I really liked about the XCOM board game that came out a little while ago is one of the, uh, one of the roles that you have uh depending on which position you take is someone who just pulls cards off the top of the deck and none of them are good they are all things that happen that will in some way um set your team back but you have to make the decision as to which one you know i'm gonna pick and and, you know in a very short amount of time too i actually quite like that i like the idea of this king saying i today i'm going to do this or this Uh, the chancellor at their right hand sort of going oh okay which of these is the least harmful or at least the least harmful to you as the chancellor yeah that's the cool thing is that like there's a a real there's there's a real chance of screwing your screwing your neighbor uh with the decrees uh and so it's usually worth it to try and be in that driver's seat especially if you can if you can chain together a couple days of being on top it gets a lot easier, A, to sort of trip the other players up, but also, like, the odds are very good that, like, something you'll want is going to pop up in that deck. I don't know how big that deck is, uh, but definitely there there are some things that can sort of be targeted at other players, like, um, well, for instance, uh, you know, everyone's starving now, and so if you don't want to lose health, you need to immediately give up two gold. And so that's a good way to knock out, uh, you know, that's a good way to, to trip up uh, someone who's sort, who's sort of been ignoring the, the money side of things. Um, my, my, question, my question for you, though, is I feel like Armello is uh, sort of a high-minded attempt to do something that exists in the space between board games and computer games. Like it's it, it sort of marries the uh, the strengths of one medium to the strengths of the other, uh, and and I guess I'm curious 
what you guys make of it in light of those ambitions, right? Like, does this does this stand out for you? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Troy? I think it falls very heavily on the board game side of things. Um, and I could actually, I'm not sure how much math is really going on or how much bookkeeping there would be to do, but I can imagine actually playing this game uh, in person. Um, it's quite simple, I think, and its rules. Uh, but you wouldn't have the great displays and you wouldn't know all the managing of the dice and moving the banes around. And I guess you need a random num- number generator for the guards are going to move, whatever. Um, I do think they've succeeded in that context, I think. I think they have built something that stands as a computer war game, a computer board game, a lot in the ways that Shenandoah tried to make iPad war games. Uh, they would prototype, and then they do a war game designed specifically for the iPad. And we talked about a few of their games here on the show. Uh, and I think that you could tell this has been prototyped to play like a board game. Uh, I'm not surprised when Paul uh, said that was the case. Yeah, I uh, I think way back in their Kickstarter video, you can see them uh, with a lot, lot of sort of jury-rigged components, rolling dice and uh, devising different ways for things to work. And I think, first of all, I think from a design point of view, that can be an interesting way to do things. Um, and it's nice to have that sort of really quite literal hands-on approach. Uh, and I I think a lot of interesting ideas come out of that sort of process but also i think it's nice to be able to make something that can in the real world be kind of slightly clunky and then immediately give all the boring work to the computer to do and again this is a thing that i thought was good about the XCOM board game was you end up with multiple people in multiple roles uh focusing on the tasks they have to do there's very little actual admin you have to do in the XCOM board gaming in terms of uh, tracking lots of stats or diving into a rule book you virtually never look at the rule book because a lot of this stuff is controlled by the app and i like that in our right. mellow i like that there's clearly there's stuff going on um and as a board game it would run a lot slower but the fact that the there's a computer referee effectively doing a bunch of the homework for you allows you to focus on the most important part of any game, which is making significant decisions. I guess I, I guess I'm a little. I felt a little more straightjacketed uh, than than I than I like in in games, and I think part of that goes back to some of the things that are good about this, like like the fact the game is on a clock, like the fact that getting around the map is hard. And there are a lot of, and you'll be sort of smashing in other players and having fights with them, or at least have to worry about the possibility of a fight with them. Those same things also make it feel a bit like, do you remember in The Simpsons when Sideshow Bob is trying to navigate the field of rakes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is how playing Armello feels for me at times. <laughs> uh, where just like every every place I go, I'm I'm smacking into something and sometimes it just ended up feeling a bit like okay, I know what strategy I want to pursue here, but the way this the way things are laid out right now, there is no way I can do it and not basically just run out of time or by the time I get there, 
another I'll be so weakened that another hero is probably just going to run up to me and and smack me and return me all return me all the way back across the map. It's it, it it's it's a little bit like that where where I felt like yeah, I was I, there were a lot of important decisions to make make every turn. But at the same time it also felt like there were so many ways for something to just come along and just take you out. And uh it also felt like it was hard to catch up. Yeah. Actually, immediately, I would agree with both of those things. There's, there's the kind of thing happening where you, you know, you fight a creature or you, you beat what they call a peril, a challenge of some sort on the board. Uh, your turn ends, and then someone who's next to you can then uh, smack you about the head. You're <sighs> weakened. You're not at your very best, um, and send you back to the start. And certainly, I did struggle to work out how i could catch up with players who were getting ahead of me and i don't know if they're i don't know if i was just bad at figuring out the right kind of tactics but it does feel like a game where you can gain momentum and i felt in some games that i was the person with the momentum you gain the momentum and you sort of snowball to victory if you build the prestige especially if you firm prestige it's very easy to keep that lead going if you you know pick on the weakest banes. You see, you see a bane fight and kill one of your opponents, and you go and you target that bane, and you get the prestige, even though you did very little of the work. Yes. Um, and this is you can keep that prestige farm going for quite a while. Now there are things that can take you down, of course, and players with the right cards um, who can play can keep away with themselves to avoid your stabby stabby swords. Um, if they're, if they're able to do that, and also they can build themselves up like that. They can put bounties on you. Bounties are very handy cards. Uh, you put a bounty on an opponent, and then uh, all the guards go after them, which is kind of neat and helpful, because um, then they're, they're targeted and brought down. But then if they win those battles, they get the prestige from it. So there's always that double-edged sword there. But there, are, there. There is a bit of a snowball effect in some of the mechanics, especially with um, if you like, when I play the game, the first cards I draw, one of the chance to draw cards, I just draw items. Don't bother the spell, don't bother the trickery. Just draw items because you're going to be able, you're going to need to win battles. Yes. Uh, so you get those three items set up there, and they'll help you on offense, they'll help you on defense, whatever. And then you can maybe some spells and trickery, but you always keep drawing at least one item card. Uh, because it might be a better item. And if not, it'll probably be a shield icon or something, and you can spend that in a battle as extra defense. Um, I think the item cards are probably overpowered, but you would not want to play without them. I, 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 I never built much of an entourage, though. I never was very lucky building an entourage. No, I never was either, even though I always wanted to in every game that I played. I do like the item cards, and I think one of the things that I liked the most about playing Armello was going through those decks, collecting things, working out what I wanted to use now, what I wanted to use later, or just burning those cards in combat to, you know, to lock in my die rolls, because some characters um, are way better, I think, in a fight than others, and it certainly doesn't hurt to throw a few cards away to ensure that you're not going to get... Uh, absolutely plastered by something. I really like those. I really kind of even just the appearance of the card. And it, oh, it's a very beautiful game. It it's really, a good looking it's... and a kind of quite a good sounding game too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely got the um the great Disney animator, uh Ivan Earl. Was that was that his name? Did Sleeping Beauty? I could I would never know, I'm afraid. That's that's completely outside my field of specialities. Uh yeah, so yeah, so he did a lot of your your golden age Disney films, uh Ivan Earl. And um yeah, the the entire game sort of has a a a, a faintly like like Ivan Earl style, uh, you know, palette and uh, and 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 art direction, and so yeah, I I I do love the way this game presents itself, um, but I do kind of feel I think it's I think it's telling to me that like you know, thirty five minutes into the show, I'm like I'm not sure how much I really do have to say about the game. Like it's fine, it's fine, but when I compare it to a, a lot of other board games I've enjoyed. Um, I find I have less to say, and I find and I find that's a little disappointing, right? Like if you get me talking about Twilight Struggle or, uh, you know, War of the Ring, and admittedly these are these are classics, but I'll be able, I could talk all day about these. Here, I kind of feel like Armello poses this poses this sort of simple situation, and it's a very straightforward game. And the things that make it difficult, I'm not sure are necessarily all that interesting, especially because. So many of these things we talked about are also functions of luck, right? Like you can go to a dungeon and go fight the peril uh, that's there, and then you can see what you get out of it. But that doesn't necessarily. But at, at no point, like that, that, what you get out of it could be really helpful or or really worthless. But in a game where time is such a precious commodity, leaving stuff like that so to chance. I think ends up making the game feel more random than I'm strictly comfortable with. Well, I think you're kind of right. There's a lot of, uh, I don't think there's very much of the, the, of a point of planning ahead, if that makes any sense. I don't think, um, you look at the board at the start of your turn and you think, well, in two turns, I'm going to be doing this particular thing. I think you can have a tactic and you can say, right, I'm going to chase money or I'm going to try and chase the stones or whatnot. But I think it's a game that changes very much from mm-hmm. turn to turn, which is interesting. It always gives you something to do and something to think about. But I think it's also at the same time a game that, that doesn't, uh, reward a lot of planning or doesn't really reward a lot of investment of thought so much as reaction, if that makes any sense. Um, and I guess what I kept thinking of while I played it, and I don't mean this as an as an insult, but I kept thinking of Talisman, which is actually one of my least favorite board oh, games no. because it feels like Fantasy Monopoly, you know, roll yeah. a move. Where am I this time? What items do I have? How powerful am I? Um I enjoyed it a lot more than Talisman, and I liked the fact that it's a fairly tight, quick game. I was playing games, I think, in mm-hmm. like about half an hour I was uh, finishing games, and then you play another game and it's the setup can be different and different things can happen. But fundamentally, I think it Armello has... It's, it's a good-looking game. It has uh, fun, cool things for you to do all the time, but it just maybe doesn't have a huge amount of depth to it. I do wonder... If we should not have played this in multiplayer. Well, here's the other if thing. The, if the screw your neighbor consequences yeah. would be more fun if you're interacting with, you know, Rob put a bounty on me. I You build in the whole personal narrative of hatred and loathing 
that makes board games such great family fun? So the the thing I was thinking about as I played, and I think I probably agree with you, and I think you're right, Troy. Um, but uh, there's no way really to to do anything with the AI. There's no way to really communicate that much with them or make deals with them. There are cards that let you do that. There are cards where you play it on someone and you um, you both gain prestige or you both gain money, which is the kind of thing where you would think uh, in a Catan kind of way, you'd be sat around the table and you'd be saying, hey, do you want to make a deal with me? Do you want to do a particular thing? But I don't know... Even thinking about that, even thinking about players uh, discussing whether they want to ally with each other or screw each other over, I don't know even how much depth there might be in doing that. That makes any sense. I think that can only really go so far. Well, the game is too short, really, to have like long-lasting alliances. I don't think it's really going to be about, you know, cutting deals or making trades so much as everyone's out for themselves and trying to take down the leader. Now, that could lead to the game being much longer, or maybe it all it always leads to stalemate. I guess we would have to see what would happen in multiplayer. Uh, because, you know, there is, yeah, there's a snowball effect if you get a good lead, but if everybody's trying to take you down, I suspect that lead can vanish pretty quickly because yes. of the number of mechanics going on. And the fact that the AI is not able at this point to, you know, to target you in any effective way. Uh, because, you know, the, all four of the animals start four different corners of the kingdom. Um, there's a good chance that Amber the hare may never interact with Santa the bear in the entire game because yeah. there's no need to, um, depending on their leadership, po- on their prestige points or how big a threat the other person is seen as or the situation. And as Rob says, the map is so claustrophobic um it can, you can feel really really hemmed in especially if the banes start going wild uh and you're not ready to take them on uh, it can feel you know really really tight but i i do think this would work i think as probably as a light multiplayer you know 30 minute fun type thing for people who don't have the reflexes for rts's anymore um i don't think this is meant to be a game that sustains you know huge um analysis but i mean rob if you played twilight struggle only over the computer how much would you have to say about it i wonder yeah that's that's a good point and we'll probably have a better answer for that once it comes out on ios (laughs) yeah fingers fingers crossed uh but i i think there there definitely is that issue where being able to run a board game multiple times in, in quick succession quickly exposes the flaws. This is something we talk about a lot on the show. It's a favorite theme of, of Bruce's and Julian's that, you know, games that hold up fantastically well, playing them a few times a year with friends uh, can quickly crumble when you're able to bang them out, you know, in 30 minute sessions on, on a computer. On the other hand, um, you know, I, 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 I just don't know. And I think I want to return to something Paul brought up, which is that this is a game that sort of resists planning. And I think that probably touches on maybe just the, the, the core problem I have with, with our mellow is that I guess for me, like one of the reasons I like strategy games is fundamentally they're they're this two. I love the process, the, the two step process of like planning and execution. I love that. I, you know, I love that loop. Let's call it. 
And in Armello, I feel like the one almost feels futile. Uh, and execution is just that matter of reaction. I don't know necessarily that that is a bad thing or whether I'm just reacting really strongly to the feeling of having a certain level of agency I'm used to suddenly taken yeah. away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's room there for whatever your personal taste is, whatever your personal kind of uh, style of play is and what kind of games you like. I I constantly felt stimulated. Um, you know, I felt like there were always interesting things to do and every turn there was usually some kind of uh there was a possibility presented to me one of the advantages of having a small playing area was i didn't have to go very far to do something or try something um but sometimes th- those were mostly all bad ideas because i wasn't powerful enough or uh you know i hadn't quite leveled up sometimes it was fine but occasionally there was a case of just well you know i feel this turn is a bit of a washout but i would have liked to have been thinking ahead more often uh i don't see it necessarily as a completely bad thing but i think certainly for for some players it will be more stimulating or more to their taste than for others i guess i fall between you two i mean it is a st- I've, I've played many many hours of this you know back and forth i've started games stopped games it's at this point it's not a game that teaches itself very well um, and I'm a slow learner because I'm an old man, so it took me some time to figure out exactly how all the parts fit together. But once I did, I quite enjoyed uh, playing with the different animals. I think the hare is my favorite. Um, but it is a game that I think will require some constant refreshing, right? I mean, it's going to have, I can see, you know, Dominion expansion type things where there's new animals are introduced with new powers, and new cards uh, through DLC packs or what have you in order to keep it, you know, sort of fresh but without toying with the underlying, you know, mechanics of it, which I do like quite a bit. Um, I do like the idea of having, you know, limited action points and then you have cards that you can be very powerful, but you can only play them if you could afford to play them. And that's where the gold and the magic and all these other currencies you acquire come in. You know, do I want to spend prestige on this uh, peril that I'm looking for because the payoff's really, really good, but I really need that prestige. What if I don't get it back? Uh, there are trade-offs through it, and there's sometimes very, very interesting trade-offs. Um, I'm not sure the end game is necessarily all that interesting. Um, I kind of like the running around stabbing people part of the game more than pretty much anything else, and they're collecting all the different cards and seeing all the different art uh, and avoiding the king's guards. So I, I get... But Paul is saying that there is a certain, there's a lot of stimuli going on here, and it does have, you know, a really solid board gamey, card gamey charm. And I, and it's just so well presented. And the the, the dice battles, you know, the way the dice roll, and it's, we've talked on the show before how important it is to actually see the dice move, but how the, the the feeling it gives you to actually see the dice, and how it lets you take ownership of your choices. But it does, I, I do wonder about its longevity, uh, even in a multiplayer uh, situation. Now, it's not going to be, uh, you won't be in a Rosalus Civilization, uh, Clicker Heroes 700 hour type game. Uh, it is going to be what it is. It's something you might drag out and play it with friends. But it also isn't a tabletop board game. It's not something you will drag out and play with friends. You have to invite your friends to play it. Um, and I hope they build some sort of multiplayer community, but it's such a title that I wonder how that's going to happen. How they'll how these people will find each other. 
because without multiplayer, I do wonder um, if people are going to have a chance to see this charming little design. Before we get into the next point, we should mention that this episode was supported by the podcast called Game is a Four-Letter Word, a video game podcast for people who might not be into video games. It's an edited podcast built around segments highlighting the best stories in games, with each episode being fueled by a real four-letter word for inspiration. It's just launched this week, and you can check it out at g4lw.net. So thanks for the support, and good luck to the Games of Four-Letter Word podcast at g4lw.net. If you'd like us or Idle Thumbs Network podcasts to record a message or a mention during one of our shows, you can do that at store.idlethumbs.net. I actually, I actually want to talk a little more about the the dice battles itself because that's a great point, Troy. That that's something that actually a lot of games have tried to do, and have completely botched. Like dice rolls on a computer game tend to suck uh, when you press a little. And, and like a lot of people tried this. This goes all the way back to like um, what was it, the Dungeons and Dragons MMO where you'd press the little D20, it would spin, and you'd see your D20 spin, and then it would give you a number. Uh, but in essence, because of the pace of an MMO, that thing was just spinning constantly and just spinning <laughs> out numbers. Uh, I want to say years ago, I don't remember, I, God, I wish I could remember the game, but there was a developer for a war game company that had figured out some way, I think, that you could like have your webcam tilted down to your desk and you could roll dice in front of your webcam. Oh, for the wow. love of and God. And it would read the dice. And this very earnest, this very earnest developer was really excited. It was like it was one of those awful moments you're at a table with someone and he's really excited because he's like, I think that's gonna that's that's the game changer. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be huge. Because people miss dice. And that's going to win a lot of people over because you're able to like play your war games that you love on your computer, but like you roll the dice yourself. And I think that's going to be that's going to be pretty fantastic, don't you? And that, is the, that, is the, <laughs> that is the saddest story it wasn't, it I've wasn't, ever heard in the games industry. It wasn't. It wasn't a great moment. It wasn't a great moment. I, I think I played it off. I was like, oh, that'd be that would be fantastic. That's exactly what I've always wanted. Um, and. Uh, the the war game uh, uh, awakening the bear uh, also has has dice rolls, but most of them suck for for the the reason that like it's either a random number generator uh, and you it just sort of spits out a number, or there's a dice rolling animation, but there's no there's no sense of physicality to it. The crazy thing about the dice battles in this game, the dice have this weird weight to them, and they tilt and they teeter. And it's kind of agonizing, much like watching a dice roll on a table actually is. <laughs> you throw the dice and they start ricocheting off the edges of the screen and everything. And you'll see like a, you know, a, a die sort of balancing between uh, you know, the hit dice and the, uh, the hit uh, icon and the miss icon. And it's really, really effective. Like I found myself getting really invested in these bat these really simple dice battles, uh, simply because like this game does a pretty good job of getting at what is exciting about dice. You know yeah. what it reminds me of? What it reminds me of uh, the actual dice rolling in the Witcher games, which yes. I think was also done quite well. Yeah, dice poker. Yeah. That was done really well, uh, except in the second game, they actually had you try to throw the dice into the um, into the board, 
which had you inevitably throwing them just you know into a marsh yes exactly and then you wouldn't get your you just lose die like you would be like oh sorry you flung that off the board and it has to be in the playing area basically witcher 2 dice was like playing with your asshole friend who was (laughs) like oh that fell on the floor that doesn't count like that was that was the Witcher 2's approach to uh to dice yes. rolling. But this is yeah, this is this is actually pretty good. And it does it does sort of get at uh the, the cool part about uh you know, six-sided dice. So that's that is a thing that that should be called out because it did make a combat system that is really really simple uh feel a lot more dramatic, I think, than, than maybe I'd expect or maybe even than it deserves. Yeah, I think it's another kudos to these guys' sense of presentation, um, yeah. understanding what makes why we roll dice in board games. And then you, you roll the dice, and the game automatically lines them up where they're supposed to be. And if you get another roll, you get another roll. And there's a nice little burning icon. And you have only this much fire time to decide which of your cards you're going to burn off. Um, it's yeah, there's a real heft uh, to the dice and the dice uh, board. I really, really like it. I do wish I'd done more with um like items and such. Like I keep this is one of those games I keep having this like dread that somehow I've I've missed some fundamental strategy as to how to play it right to make it less random. Like there's little glimpses I can see of of things that can really help you uh sort of take control of your in-game destiny a lot more effectively. Some of the items are are actually incredibly powerful. Uh and if you're walking around with those you can take on certain risks a lot more effectively than other times. Like I had this great little, um, this great item, uh, that was like a, a little puppet or something. Um, it was like a, I don't know. It was like a cursed doll. Right. And mm-hmm. any time I got in a fight that was inconclusive and nobody died, the other, the person I was fighting with would take two damage as they retreated. Which, in this game, that two damage is actually hugely significant. Uh, so it was, it was an interesting case where like, I was actually able to run around and start basically baiting these fights because I had hit points to burn, and I knew that at the end of it, the other person was probably going to be dead anyway. Uh, and, and so there, there, are some, like, there, there are some cool interactions between like getting items in your inventory... And like pursuing to, and running around the map, trying to pick up items out of dungeons and such, and and get them out of perils, uh, and then of course figuring out how to whether or not to keep your cards in reserve to use the card power, or whether or not to burn them for combat bonuses. I liked thinking a lot about that decision, um, and that was one of the things that, as I say, that I felt most engaged with. Um, touching briefly on on what you've just said, I don't know if I felt. Maybe I just wasn't good enough at the game, but I don't know if I felt that there was uh, a particular optimal strategy or uh, particular cards I should really grab. I was hoping there wasn't because it tends to not be a great thing in a game where uh, a particular item is the is the cool item to have. I remember playing, um, what was it? It's a uh, Flying Frogs zombie game. Um, which uh, I've temporarily forgotten the name of. Yeah. Um, or even or that, or playing something like Arkham Horror sometimes with certain people and them saying, "Oh, you know, you want to get here and cycle this deck and get these particular things." Last night on Earth. And, 
That's it. Yes. Um, and I remember uh, the people hosting saying, oh, no, you want to get here. You want to attack this deck, cycle this as quick as you can. And it became kind of like ferreting through thrift shops. It became less of a game of succeeding through um, combining certain things intelligently and more a game of just rummaging and rummaging until you got the cool thing. Yeah. And that's really not very exciting to me. Here's another thing. I just found myself, I, I just wished I had more cards. And not just in the way of, like, boy, I sure do wish I had more at-will powers and such that I could <laughs> use, but I actually found myself kind of wishing that there were more times to refresh your hand, more ways to, like, play with, like, you know, dumping cards. Uh, I just wanted more, I think, card interaction, because uh, I, I, I do love building a good hand. Uh, and I, I definitely wanted a little more of that, I guess, in the experience than uh, than I got. And I, and I think part of it also was I, I did feel like again actions were so limited that uh, a lot of times if you're if you know if you're trying to get one of the uh, you know one one of Troy's blue balls, for instance, uh, you don't have time to be futzing about with futzing about with uh, cards. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. Um... I don't know. I will obviously. It's it's still a work in progress in that respect as well. Uh, not and I would be interested. Much. I, isn't this? I think, think this game is coming, coming out, out next it's month. Very soon. This is not. This is not really. This is early access, but this is like pretty much done. There's a, there's a few things left to do. I think at the beginning of the game, they want to have a tutorial campaign, um, and some more teaching stuff, some improvements to the interface. I think. Yeah. No. But, full release but, is but the it's, first. It, it's pretty much done. Very well then. Um, yeah, I I don't know then. I think I, my feeling is that particular items can be hugely effective, especially combined then with particular characters, because there were there were also cards I was getting that I just found largely useless, and I couldn't imagine a context where I would want to use them. Uh, I'm curious what 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 cards. There were things like uh, I could. Um, cause a village to go into revolt, which I didn't think was really all that useful. Mm. Uh, am I remembering that right? Or quell a revolt in a village. Um, there are cards where sort of playing them costs you a certain amount and you get a certain amount of a different resource back. And I was looking at that and thinking, I don't, I don't feel very strongly either way. Um, putting bounties on people, I didn't actually find hugely effective. I didn't find it that useful to drop um the perils on the ground sometimes it's really useful to be able to control the board in that sort of way yeah. but other times i was just dropping down a peril next to someone who actually was powerful enough that they'll just get more prestige if they deal with it of course you can, always, you can, you can always drop a peril next to yourself and then take it out potentially yes and with a lot of the cards it very much is again the context of yeah. the decision some right. are really useful at a particular time but I don't know. I felt there were cards in there that I just, I never really thought they were going to be very exciting or very useful to me. And so I was either burning them in combat or just sort of looking at them. Yeah. I, again, I think part of this is just the, the, the way you always feel under the gun. I, I feel like a lot of those things you talked about, Paul, they're things they, they seem like they could be useful and maybe they would be useful. But the question is when things are, always when it, when it always feels like you need to be making direct progress toward a goal 
it's tough to do things like I'm going to lay this little landmine on their side of the board and hope they step across it. Uh, that's 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 a little harder to to justify, but yeah, it's an interest. It's an interesting case of like where a lot of things I usually like, where like a, a system that sort of takes power away from the player and forces you to react to a lot of things. Um, it, it's a case where in, in this particular game, it, it just ends up being a bit, uh, you know, a, a little bit frustrating. And I say I, I say that having having enjoyed the game is is the odd thing, right? But the the but the but the question often is like, there's there's a lot of games I can enjoy. What kind of what's going to keep me coming back? And I think in Armello, it's it's lacking a little bit of that. Because so so much of it just seems to be, um, you know, boy, boy, Paul, that that talisman comparison is, is damning. But I'm going to return to it because I think it it does have some similarities there. Uh, it feels sort of appropriate to me in in a way. Yeah, and I like talisman, uh, not at all. But I, I do I do kind of feel like that that you sort of play the game and the system sort of spits out outcomes at you. I kind of feel a little bit that a bit of that happening in Armella. And uh, you know, well it's it's fun to play minute to minute. It's also a little bit off-putting to to constantly feel like the game is just sort of punching holes in my plans right and left to the point where uh eh, this isn't really the kind of game where you do much planning. Well, I I I don't know, that is kind of how I feel. I feel it 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 produces things for you and I I guess you've described it in a good way it's sort of it's punching things out uh things occur you respond to them and because of the nature of the cards you may may not have or the direction you may or not be, may or may not be going in uh some of these things you can deal with some of them you really can't deal with in any way you're kind of just helpless troy who will stand for our mellow I stand for Armello. I think it is a good light game. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, but it's something I'll come back and play again a lot after this podcast is done. No, probably not. But I've got a dozen hours in it. Um, I whoa, really? Yeah, about ten, not a dozen, but eight or nine, something like that. Uh, just trying different things, you know. Doing a podcast yeah. on it. I did. Have you? Things. Have you? Have you broken? Have you broken out of that um, feeling of like? Because I think Paul and I are both coming from a similar point of like it feels like it's really hard to plan and and do things in this game. Yeah. But have you like you know no, having is, put in that a, time? This is a game that's not about. This is a game about t- 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 turn to turn strategy management. You have a goal you want to get to. What can I do that does not screw up that goal? That's pretty much what it comes down to. There's not a lot of planning. You don't want to beyond. You can plan like for the next turn. Like I want to get to that dungeon or I want to target that bane that's close to you. But there's no long-term planning. I'm not even sure what you would long-term plan for. Because again, this isn't a game about controlling anything. It's a game about accumulating, but watching numbers go up, accumulating prestige, accumulating magic points, accumulating cards. It's about drawing this wealth into your hand. Uh, so each turn is about drawing that wealth into your hand so long as that wealth takes you towards your goal. So if there was supposed to be, say, some, if you did want some long-term planning in a game, I'm not even sure what that would look like in our mellow. Like in what context would a long-term plan make any sense given these victory conditions? Yeah. Yeah, I guess partly I mean it's just like 
I want to walk from this hex to that hex. And a lot of times I feel like the game's like, nah, that's like, if you do that, you, if you get there, you'll have lost the game because you've wasted too much time. Like, I, I do well, feel like maybe that in the context of this long-term planning is just like, oh boy, I would like to be seven hexes away from here. <laughs> and that becomes a real challenge, but that's, but that's a really good point. And I think one way I've approached this is I, I approach it very much as a strategy game, but the interesting thing is our mellow actually builds itself more as an RPG. Really? Yeah, I noticed it when I was when I was firing it up or when I was installing it. But I I, I want to say it 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 sort of self identifies as an RPG more than it identifies as a strategy game, and I do think there is an element of um, yeah, it's a, okay. I I do think there's an element of you are a character that goes on this 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 quest to become the new king or 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 heal the heal the old king. Uh, but yeah, if, if you look at it in this context of like a storybook type structure, your character is, it's supposed to be a game about the trials of your character. Well, yeah, it says it updates your log or your quest log or right. whatever, which is a silly thing to call it. It just says what you did. It does tell these sorts of stories. I mean, it's more of an adventure combat game, I think, than even an RPG. Um, but I'm perfectly content calling this just a strategy game because it's about cards and battles and everyone and hexes. Strategy and hexes and strategy games have hexes and yeah. rpgs don't oh i don't know i think rob kind of has a very good point there and it does feel it does feel like a game of gradually building a character well, it's really building a bunch of numbers and a character though really right i mean this isn't yeah, but in RPG land, that is a character, right? Yeah, like, I mean, I that's, 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 it can be in some quadrants of RPG land. Well, that's how we define RPGs, I guess. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's how you look at the cloud sessions of RPG. It's about building, building characters and increasing their stats. That's pretty much what it is. That's why it's not an adventure game, because it's an RPG. But yeah, so I, I, I think, yeah, Armello Ar- ends up being, uh, you know, an, an enjoyable game. But I think it it very much depends on sort of what, like a lot of things, I guess, what sort of expectations and hopes you bring to it. And I guess for me, I just sort of was expecting a little more of like a fantasy strategy game and ended up playing something uh, a little more... Boy, I don't want to say (laughs) talisman-like. You, I, you can if you wish. Yeah, but there has to be a better way of saying that because because Talisman is a bad game, but like, but Talisman isn't like uh, an unethical game. I would say. Well, <laughs> okay, first of all, that's fine, uh, and I agree. Armello isn't evil. But is it not uh, an appropriate thing to say? Maybe Armello has some of the ideas of Talisman, but it executes them better, and it's a better game, and it's nicer. I think that's perfect. I, I don't know exactly how I feel about it yet. I still haven't decided. I, um, I, I've enjoyed playing it, though. Again, I don't know if I would return to it for a long period of time, but uh, it was way more worth my time than Talisman because it was tighter and faster and more entertaining, and well, I don't regret playing it. Talisman are, will destroy we, an afternoon. We are so It'll doing, destroy friendships. We are so doing a show on Talisman. We are, oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> I mean, maybe it no. is kind of influential. What is there to say about it apart from that it's just horrid fantasy monopoly nonsense? 
Yeah, but it's also inspired other nonsense games. I think there's like a 40k version of. Well, there's a 40k version of every other game now because that, well, is, that yeah. is Games Workshop's new strategy for that brand. But also, it's it's it it hasn't. It's not significantly different. It's just in space. Yeah, yeah. What no? What 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 a loathsome game, but. <laughs> possibly something to revisit someday but anyway that concludes this week's episode uh with a rousing nah for our mellow uh three moves ahead <laughs> is produced by michael hermes and is hosted as part of the idle thumbs network you can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. we'd also appreciate if listeners would rate and review us on itunes you can follow three moves ahead on twitter using at 3ma and send questions to 3ma via questions at threemovesahead.net. I should also mention that I recently launched another podcast alongside my colleague Andrew Gruen called Esports Today, also hosted on, on Idle Thumbs. It's a short weekly podcast that surveys the major news in professional gaming for a more casual general esports audience. Uh, you can find that at esports.today. And if you're too busy to keep up with esports or are getting curious about the scene, uh, please check it out. You can follow both podcasts as well as a host of other shows at idlethumbs.net, home of the Idle Thumbs Network. If you would like us to mention something on Three Moves Ahead or on another Idle Thumbs podcast, you can do that via store.idlethumbs.net. We'll be back next week with another edition of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. Good night, all. Good night. <laughs>